Uh, before we turn to the text I want to look at today, I want to ask a couple of questions. And the first one is kind of like, duh. But I was going to ask you, how many of you have had a troubling or distressing situation in the last two weeks? Well, obviously we've had one. But let's say the last two months or the last two years, because there's a lot of ways distress and trouble comes our way, right? And the second question I'd like to ask, what was your reaction? What was your first reaction when it happened? So was it the second verse of what a friend we have in Jesus, which goes like this? Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And that's what we should do, isn't it? We've been taught to do that. Some years back, there was a British evangelist. His name was Charles Inglis. And he wrote this true story about a wealthy Christian woman that he knew. And she told him that her husband, uh, they were wealthy. They lived in a big house. And he traveled to Europe. And she, had, she was wealthy enough she had maids. And that'd be nice, wouldn't it? So he had left alone with her maids in this large, lonely house. And she was a devout woman, though. Every night they would get together and read the scripture and pray. And so when they got done that night, they all went to their individual bedrooms and so as she entered her room, though, she happened to look at a mirror in the back of the room on the opposite room, and to her horror, she sees a man kneeling behind a large dresser she had in that room. And she said she was tempted to cry out loud for help, but she knew it would be useless. And she determined that she was going to put the faith in God that they had just been talking about to the test. And so she walked as courageously as she could across the room. Her limbs, she said, were trembling. And she took her Bible off a table and she sank into a chair. And then she opened it up and began reading from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And after she'd read that, she kneeled down in front of that chair and prayed out loud. And she prayed to God. She said, Lord, you know we are unprotected women. And she implored him to protect them from thieves and robbers and evil persons. That's what she prayed out loud. And she'd barely risen from that off her knees and sank into her chair, and a hand was laid on her shoulder. And a voice said, Do not cry or be frightened, for you are perfectly safe. I came here to rob this house, but that chapter is one I used to hear my mother read. And your prayer reminded me of the prayers she offered. And he said, I'm going now. You need fear nothing. Let me ask you, what do you think that woman's likely reaction is after she watched him leave the house? And if it was me, I'd have been watching him leave the house. (laughs) So wouldn't you say it'd be one of praise and thanksgiving? I mean, I'd be like, my God delivers. And I'm mad that she woke all those women up. There were her maids and said, you come on in here. I want to tell you something. And I, get, I would guess that they all prayed God for what? For his deliverance, wouldn't they? So blessing, magnifying, praising God for his goodness and mercy is what they would have been doing. Wouldn't you? I mean, I would have been. Well, that's a biblical response. So if you'll turn to our text in Psalm 34, you'll see what I'm talking about. Psalm 34, and if you have a ribbon or something you can put there, it would probably be a good idea. 
well, you know, I think I'm only going to one other place. But Psalm 34. And it says in Psalm 34 at the beginning, what's known as an informative subheading underneath the Psalm 34. And by the way, though we don't consider them the inspired word, almost every conservative scholar considers them legitimate. They've been placed there way before they would ever have records that someone could have added it in. And all they do is give us placements of when these psalms took place, certain psalms. But it starts off saying, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove him away, and he departed. And verse 1 starts off this way, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Have we ever heard that psalm before? He goes on to say, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near unto them that are of a broken heart. And saveth such as be of a contrite spirit, for many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. So as we saw at the beginning, our little informative subheading under Psalm 34, that David wrote this psalm after he had been delivered from the king of the Philistines. And here in this, he's called Abimelech. That's his title. That's like President Obama. President is his title. Abimelech's his title. Achish, if you go back and read the account in 1 Samuel 21, Achish was his name. So this happens, he wrote this, this happened right after he had to flee from Saul when Saul's trying to kill him with a spear. And David went to Gath. Well, what's Gath? Gath is where, who's from? Goliath. And that's where he goes, the land Goliath was from. And he thought he could hide from Saul there. 
What, he, what they knew was maybe somebody from the army recognized David, but he'd been killing thousands of their brother soldiers there, the Philistines. Or maybe they recognized that sword, man. Because David said there is none like that when he was offered that sword, didn't he? There's none. So maybe, at any rate, however they recognized him, right, they brought him before King Achish. David was in trouble, and he knew he was. And what did he do? Said he was in physical danger, he was sore afraid, and he acted like a madman. Scribbling on the walls, just acting like he's crazy. And back then, they thought if a person like that, they had spirits. And they were afraid of picking up those spirits. That's the way those people thought. And Achish is like, what in the world are you doing bringing this crazy guy here around me? Get him out of here. And so they let him go. But you know what's interesting? We just read all of Psalm 34, and David's writing about his deliverance. Where does he ever mention that he acted crazy? Doesn't mention it at all, does he? So what gave David his deliverance? Was it the fact he acted like a madman, something he really wasn't? Or was it God? Just like the woman we just read about, what gave her that deliverance really? Was it the fact she prayed and read the scriptures? God could have used that, but it was God that gave her the deliverance, wasn't it? And I tell you, David attributed his deliverance to only one thing, and that's what we just read, and that is his God gave him his deliverance. And so verses 1 to 3, which we sing all the time, are David's praise to God for deliverance. Uh, Listen, here's the deal. When David's writing this psalm, he's in the cave of Adullam. He's not out of trouble yet. It's still a long time that old King Saul's going to be chasing him around. So it's not like things are all glorious and rosy for him just because he got out of that situation with Achish, but he right now, he is a blessed and rejoicing man. He has just come through something. Sore afraid he was, and he is a happy man. He's got a song in his heart. My God is faithful, and he loves me. That's what David got out of all that, and it says he's learned to to bless God in the good times, in the bad, right? I will bless the Lord at all times, right? And his praise shall continually be in my mouth, whether there's trouble or not. That's what David learned through all that. And listen, we don't like to hear people boasting about themselves, do we? I mean, we may not say anything, but man, when somebody's bragging on themselves, whether it's an athlete on TV or just one of us telling about some great thing he did, you're just kind of like, man, you're a little proud and arrogant, right? But David said, I'll make my boast too. And how? He says, I'm going to make my boast in the Lord. And when we hear of someone, that's what testimonies in here I would assume are all about, boasting of God's power and deliverance either in their lives or someone else, we rejoice, don't we? What are we rejoicing at? That this person's some kind of hero? No, we rejoice at the greatness of our God, right? That he did that for him, he'll do it for me, and I'm still, I'm glad he did it for him. Praise God, that's the kind of God we serve, right? So at least David said the humble will do that. They'll rejoice when they hear that because not all people are glad to hear about God's great works that he does for people, you know? You know, when Jesus healed the woman with the the bowed back in Luke 13, I mean, imagine what it was like for her. That's a marvelous miracle. You're bowed down like this all your life. I mean, if she was that rich woman, someone else would always be washing the top parts of the windows. Think about it. I mean, she, that's just be a really hard thing to carry around. 
couldn't straighten out to do anything. And Jesus said what? He said, that's not a blessing from God you're walking around like that. He said, this is the work of Satan. He delivered that woman from Satan. And so what was the reaction? It wasn't all the same. If you read the account in Luke 13. Now that woman, after having been that way for 13 years, was one happy woman. And it says in the account that she glorified God. I will bless the Lord at all times. I guarantee you that was her, the lips out of her mouth. But it goes on to say the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had the nerve to heal on the Sabbath day. And he said unto the people, Ah, there's six days in which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. Would you say he was humble? I would say not. But what about the people? The common people, the humble, common people like you and me. At the end of the account, it says, all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. They're probably glad for that lady, and they're saying, look what God has set us in our midst. I'll just go off. Yes, I didn't. So David has a testimony we're seeing in these first three verses that he wants everybody to join in, doesn't he? At the end of that, he says, oh, magnify the Lord by yourself in your house. He says, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name. How? Together. Isn't that what he says? So whenever, here's the thing, whenever you experience the mercy of God, you can't help but want to get others to join in to the blessing you've had. That's just the way it is. That's the way God's designed us. You know, when the sinner gets saved in Luke 15, what does it say? All the angels are rejoicing together. All of heaven is rejoicing. And that's the way it should be, shouldn't it? Not jealous that someone else got blessed and I didn't, but all of us joining in together. Let us exalt his name together. And so when we're here as a church and singing the praises of God as a group of saints, we should all be singing those praises together, shouldn't we? Rejoicing with each other. And we should all know, hey, we have all had a major deliverance. God saved us from our past, our sin. And so that's why I think sometimes those songs about the blood, there's just a little extra oomph the Holy Spirit puts on them, right? Because that's the one thing we all definitely have in common. But the people of Israel are reading these first three verses, and they're saying, you know, wow, this is great. We, I know, David, we love to praise the Lord, but, you know, what's this all about? Why now, David? And he answers them in verse 4. He says, I'll tell you why. Because I have a testimony. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all of my Fears. Now you hear that word fears? So how many times have we heard it said, and not here though, but I've heard it said, you can't have faith and fear at the same time. Oh, I mean, says who? What is David talking about? He said he was sorely afraid. What do you think caused him? I mean, it doesn't say in the account when he called out to God, but he had to at some point. He really did. And we need to remember who it is that had these fears who wrote about him here in verse 4. David was a warrior. He fought the lion and the bear as a youth, killed Goliath with a slingshot, and he had been massacring thousands of these filthy Philistines, hadn't he? This is the man that says, delivered me from my fears, the warrior, fearless David. And he says in the Bible, we need to think about this. What was he called? A man after God's own heart, wasn't he? He was a man that had faith. Are we going to say David had no faith in God? 
He had faith and he truly loved the Lord. So if you or I, and I mean, that includes all of us, because little kids, my seven-year-old's afraid to go down in the basement. All the way up to, we all have fears we have to deal with, right? Does that make us any less than David because we have fear in our life? Does that mean we don't have faith? I want you to, if you would, put something in Psalm 34. I do want to look over at Psalm 56. Just turn a few psalms over, if you would, please. Psalm 56. Here's David again. In trouble again. Psalm 56. But look what he says, starting in verse 1. He says, Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up. Now that can be literal, or sometimes when you're in a physical trial or a financial trial, doesn't it seem that way? It's like your enemies are trying to swallow you up. And it can cause some concern. It did for David. For they be many, he says, that fight against me, O thou most high. This is his prayer to God. But look what he says in verse 3. At what time I am afraid? Oh, that's a bad confession, David. Rebuking. Oh, no. But what does he say? At what time I I am afraid? What does he say we should do? I will trust in thee. And look what he goes on to say in verse 4. In God I will praise. Because where does his trust come from? His word, doesn't it? In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. And now, here it's changed to, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. That's where it's at, isn't it? So let's turn back to Psalm 34. So David says, hey, it's not just me that's been delivered from my fears when I cried unto the Lord. Verse 5 is, He's talking about who is the they. They looked unto him, it says, and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. Who's the they? Well, I believe he's talking about the saints of old. They looked to the Lord, David. He's thinking about them. It's not just me. It was also the saints of old. And he's probably thinking to himself, I remember when I read about Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God when Esau was coming. I mean, it said he sees Esau coming with an army big enough to wipe him out. And Jacob was afraid, wasn't he? He said, it wasn't just me that was afraid and cried to God. It was also Jacob. And did God just leave him at the mercy of Esau? No, wrestled with God. And he touched Esau's heart to where by the time they met up, it was no longer that frightful scene that it appeared to Jacob to be. But he had fears, and God delivered him. And what about Joseph? Down in that Egyptian pit, you think he didn't have fears? How how would you deal with the fact that you give this, this interpretation of these dreams, and it should be your ticket out of this pit? And guess what happens? It says they forgot about him. Oh, and in prison, what he got, those prisoners get, they call it a two-year flop. That means you think you're going to get out on parole, and they say, uh-uh, not this time. It's two more years before you come back before the parole board. And those prisoners have to deal with depression and the whole situation. Of, and how about Joseph had to be in there thinking, God has probably left me. But yet he stayed faithful to the Lord, didn't he? And God delivered him. And what does it say here? We say they were lightened. And what's the last part of verse 5? It says, Their faces were not ashamed. 
Did Joseph end up being ashamed? No. Their faces glowed with the joy of God's deliverance, didn't they? And I could go on and on and give other examples. But here we go on in verse 6. David, though, he doesn't think he deserves to be put in the same category to these great saints of old because look what he says. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. That tells you something about David. He was a humble man, wasn't he? Jesse's youngest, the youngest of all those boys, just a sheep herder. He doesn't have a lot of money. He's poor financially, but he's also poor in spirit, isn't he? And are you a poor man? Is that how, I mean, sometimes, honestly, and we don't act that way around each other, but don't you ever feel that way? That, you know, I'm not much in the world's eyes, and I'm not really much in my own eyes when I see how I am. Isn't that the way we honestly feel about ourselves at times? You think, man, my faith is small. They don't count me as anything at church, and God wouldn't hear my cry for help. And that's where we can take courage from this verse, because David says, this poor man cried. I'm nothing in my eyes compared to these saints of old. And that's how we can sometimes feel, and that's when we can cry too. And he says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard me. You, he'd hear you. You cry out to him. And saved him out of all of his troubles. That's what it says at the end of verse 6. So as a result, the light's coming on for David. And here we have, this is the universal truth that David sees. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord and camps round about them that fear him and does what? Delivers them. Universal truth. And who is this angel of the Lord? Phrase occurs many times in the Old Testament. Do you know that in Exodus 3, if you watch movies, this is where movies will mess you up. You watch the Ten Commandments, and what do you see in that burning bush when old Charlton Heston kneels before it? All you see is flame, don't you? Well, that's where you better read your Bible after you see a movie so you don't go around misquoting things. Because if you go back and read Exodus 3, the account of the burning bush, it says it wasn't just a flame of fire, but the angel of the Lord. He is the one that spoke to Moses out of that bush. He is the one that said, my name is, I am that I am. Huh. And in Numbers 22, the angel of the Lord is the one that confronts Balaam, and he says, uh-uh. We're talking about the angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear him and delivers them. And he stops Balaam, and he says, you, you are not going to go curse my people. Uh-uh, not you, because I'm watching out for him. That's what the angel of the Lord did. And in Joshua 5, he's the one that appeared to Joshua. So all these battles, Joshua was considered the great commander, and he was, and leader of the Lord's people. But what happens at the beginning of that in Joshua 5? The commander, the, God says, my angel will go before you in that land. That's how you're going to conquer that land, not because you guys are all a bunch of mighty warriors. And the angel of the Lord appears to Joshua. He's called the captain of the host of the Lord. The pre-incarnate Christ is the angel of the Lord. That was the Lord Jesus Christ before he took on flesh. The one that now says to us, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So he's not just with you in Shelbyville. He's with you when you go to the Dominican or Guatemala or wherever, right? And he's encamped round about you if trouble comes. And Paul's talked about trouble in Guatemala, right? Who delivers you? Is it the bad dude in that town that's really delivering you? God may be using him, but it's the Lord, isn't he? 
and camped round about you to deliver you. He's the same one that says in Hebrews 13, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He'll never leave us or forsake. And sometimes it does seem that way, doesn't it? It's probably seemed that way to David. He goes on to say, so because of that, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I shall not fear what man will do unto me. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the angel of the Lord that encamps round about us and delivers us and saves us, isn't he? That's what we see there in verse 7. And so David's experienced that truth, and he's seen that truth experienced in the lives of the older saints. But he doesn't want to keep that just isolated to him or them in the past. And so that's why he says, look what he says in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Now listen, we can read accounts, can't we? We can read biographies of great Christians and how God delivered them and rejoice with them. And man, this is a great testimony. But that's, that's good in and of itself, but that's not enough, is it? You have to taste God's goodness. And listen, nobody can describe that taste to you. It has to be experienced. It really does. You know, this is back, uh, I think it was this last Christmas, Thanksgiving, wasn't it, Thomas? That Tom, me and Thomas are sitting there eating lunch, watching the news or Sports Center or something, I don't know, at lunchtime. And he looks over at me and says, Dad, can you describe what blood tastes like? I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, no, I can't describe what blood tastes like. Well, here his cousin had just texted him and said he busted his mouth and it tasted like blood. And Thomas texted him back, well, what does it taste like? Well, did you ever get an answer? No. How are you going to describe that? You know, I mean, if you've tasted it, you know what it tastes like, right? But if you haven't, how are you going to describe that? You know, I could describe to you all the flavor and the texture of my great late grandmother's pumpkin pie. And I mean, it was something to die for. It really was. I wish she could have made hundreds of them and froze them. But here, I can tell you all about it, how good it is, you know, and, and whatever. But until you taste it, you really haven't experienced it. You don't know, you don't really know what I'm talking about, do you? And David says the man that has trusted in God and experienced his goodness is what? He says he is a blessed man. And guess what he's not doing? He's not living on something that he has read or heard, is he? He's tasted and seen. And by seeing, that means he knows. And David is pleading with us. He's pleading with the people there to experience God's goodness like he has. He says, oh, taste and see. And the emphasis is on, oh. Oh, I wish you would. Oh, I wish you could taste what I have tasted and see that the Lord is good. He will deliver you. You need a taste of that. Now listen, there's good news in that and there's bad news. And I always like to get the bad news first. I don't know about you all. Give me the bad news I can handle the good news in. But the bad news is there is only one way to taste that the Lord is good. Through troubles, afflictions, fears, and trials. Now, who wants that on their plate? I mean, who wants to go back for seconds? <laughs> Nobody. But here's the good news, though. That's the, that's the bad news, if you want to call it that. But the good news is, if, if you will trust him, you will be blessed. 
Isn't that, look at the Bible here. Wouldn't that what he says? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good because blessed is the man. And sometimes we look at it like, man, I'm in this trial. I don't feel blessed. But he says, blessed is the man that does what? Trust in the Lord. That's the blessed man that's trusting in God. But here, you know, the order is there for a reason. You have to taste before you can see. It's like Jonathan. Jonathan took that honey and put it in his mouth and tasted it. And then you know what happened? What does it say in the Bible? His eyes were opened. Ah. So we have to experience. We have to taste the trial. Taste God's deliverance through that trial. And then you're not relying on testimonies or some preacher or some book you read. You're like, I know it. It's in here. Oh, I know God is faithful. I know when I cry out to him, he's not going to leave me desolate, right? Daryl, you're supposed to get him a little louder on the amens. Get my, get my pastor-elect here to get everybody pumped up. No, that's, that's fine. But that's what happens when you taste it like that. You will experience the Lord's presence and power, and you will know it for yourself. And then you'll be an encouragement to others, and you'll be going on in faith. That's what it's all about. Listen, if you keep pushing it off your plate like my little boy does good food, and all you want to eat is Nutella on toast, you're not going to grow very good. That's the way it works at my house, Nutella on toast. That's what this world's come to. Well, listen, there is one condition with all this, isn't it? And it's part of this universal truth in Verse 7, because who does it say that the angel of the Lord encamps round about? Those that what? Not everybody, does he? Not everybody. And it's the focus of verses 9 through 14. And David knows that's the one thing that can keep God's deliverance from coming. And so, you know, just like he pleads with you to taste the Lord's goodness, you know what else he pleads with us to do? Fear God. Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes. He says, all this stuff's vanity. It's all going to go away. The good times, the bad times, the riches, the poor people, whatever. He said, it all boils down to this. This is what it's all about. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what it boils down to. And that's what David's saying. Look at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. If you'll just fear the Lord, he says, you'll never suffer lack or want. Instead, you will experience his deliverance from fears, his goodness, and his life and his power in your life. Because he goes on to say in verse 10, Well, the young lions, they do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And young lions, look, an old lion might be a little too old to get out there and get his prey. So you could kind of see him going hungry. And he may, like me, he might need to miss a few meals. Old, fat, hungry lion. Well, listen, those young lions, no, I mean, he's picking a young lion out because they are at the prime of their hunting stage, aren't they? They're aggressive, they're cunning, they're powerful hunters. But what does he say? He says, they can go hungry, though. And they say, hey, the beasts of the field, they are always lean. They are never quite getting enough, right? They can go hungry, David says, and that is a type or a metaphor of the people of this world, the aggressive ones. The ones that seem to be cunning in business, financially wise, just strong about the way they are, real aggressive in their personality. He says those kind of people trusting in themselves, they'll go hungry, and they will. They'll suffer lack. But the ones like us who just seek the Lord humbly and look to him to supply our needs, he says, no, you'll never suffer want, not want. 
They that seek the Lord shall not want any good. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. And then look in verses 11 to 14. He spells out. Look, he says, Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. And David says, hey, I don't want you all to miss out. I really don't. Come here, children. And he is like, he's like Daryl would be with his family. I want you to gather around. They got a nice sofas in their fireplace. He says, gather my children by that fire on a winter evening. And he gets them around. He says, listen, children. See, that's what he's saying there in verse 11. Come, you children, hearken unto me. Gather here by this fire. Listen to me for a minute because I want to give you some advice. And my kids hate it when I do that. I ought to learn to keep it short, right? He said, but I want to teach you something that's really going to help you through life, you young people here. You need to learn about the fear of the Lord. And like, don't you all, don't you want to live a long life? Don't you? You look at me. Not sure. <laughs> and in those years, know that you have the blessing and the hand of God on your life. You guys over there? You're Brother Hamilton's boys. I have to leave you alone. <laughs> but yeah, that's what you want, isn't it? As a young person, you really do. And that's what he's telling them. And they would all, those kids being gathered around, they'd all nod their head yes because they're afraid of their dad. Yeah, that's what I want, dad. Well, he tells them, he says, then, you, then here's what we all need to hear then, then for all of us. You, then you keep your tongue from evil. Keep your tongue from lying, slander, gossip, and backbiting, right? And he goes on to say, keep your lips from guile. Keep your word. Don't you lie or deceive people. That's the fear of the Lord. It says, depart from evil, young people, old people. Stay away from pornography, from fornication, from drugs, from drinking, from bad movies, from bad company, and from being a selfish person. Saying, so depart from evil, but don't just depart from evil and live in a cave somewhere. He also says, do good. Help others. Put others first. Look for ways to be a blessing to other people, right? And then he says, seek peace. That word peace is shalom. That means you're seeking the wholeness of another person, the well-being of others. He says, be a peacemaker and pursue that. Don't just, you know, you're, like, you're not really getting along with people. Go out of your way to be a peacemaker with someone, like Daryl was saying earlier. And then... Verse 15 will be true for all of us. Look what he says in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And from here on out, he talks about the righteous. Because who are the righteous? They are the ones that walk like we just talked, in the fear of the Lord. It says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cries. So he's saying there, hey, if you walk a righteous life in the fear of the Lord, he's saying... Now, we don't think of it this way. It's not like his eyes are just gazing on everybody at once. He's saying his eyes will be on you like you were the only person on this planet. And his ears, when you cry, they'll be open like you're the only one crying to him. Just have to walk in the fear of the Lord. He'll be there immediately because the alternative is verse 16. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut the remembrance of them from the earth. Why would any of us here choose verse 16? After all what we've heard. So 
So now do you see why in verse 9 David pleads, Oh, fear the Lord, his saints, because God's ears and his eyes are upon the righteous and open to their cry. But he goes on to say, Are the righteous those that live perfect lives? Because if that was the case, who would qualify? Who would qualify for God to help you out? No, it's those that have repented from evil and have broken and contrite heart. Look in verse 18. The Lord is near unto who? Those that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. When you're broken over sin and shortcomings and repentant, that's when God is near you, when you think he wouldn't be, but he is. So sometimes you know your sins have caused your distress and your problems, but if you'll repent, you know, you know, I don't deserve anything from the Lord. But if you'll repent, God says, I'm near that person with the broken and contrite heart. Because that person wants to live a holy life before the Lord, and contrite means his face is in the dust when he gets before the Lord over his sins. So you, maybe you're here today, and you feel like that broken, contrite man. And that's the way you are. And you're in a distressing situation, and you're thinking, man, it's my own fault. I should have known better. Well, repent before the Lord. And God says he's bending down his ear. He's near. He's listening to your cry. And there's nothing that's going to get a father's attention more than his child crying out for help with a broken heart. Well, my kids are truly repentant. I mean, you can't but help have it move you as a parent, right? So look how many times in this psalm David talks about crying out to God. You know, in verse 6 we have, he says there, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. And in verse 15 he says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to what? Their cry. He's repeatedly talking about this. Verse 17 says, The righteous cry, and the Lord what? The Lord heareth. Now let me ask you all this. Do you think a cry can be a prayer? Even a prayer of faith? Well, look, verses 12, whether you know this or not, verses 12 to 16 in Psalm 34 are quoted directly where? I'll give you a bigger hint. It's in the New Testament. I'll even narrow it down. It's one of Peter's, or Peter. It is Peter. I'll just narrow it down for you right away. So it was one of his close disciples, but it was Peter. Dummy, gave it away. But that's where it's quoted in 1 Peter directly, verses 12 to 16. And verse 15 here in Psalm 34 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. But in Peter, the word is, it's open unto their prayers. So there's many words that could be translated prayer in the New Testament, but the word that Peter uses for prayer in the New Testament gives the sense of crying out. And it means an urgent request to meet a need exclusively addressed to God. So what we have here is, so here we have in Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open under their cry. And it's the same exact verse in Peter says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ear is open unto their prayers. An urgent cry. And that's the word that is used of Jesus in the garden when he prayed to God in his distress. It says in Hebrews 5, 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and he was heard in that he feared. And so Jesus was in such agony, as we talked about a while back, that he sweated blood, didn't he? When he prayed, that's how agony. But it said God was looking down on that scene. 
And God heard him. Why does it say in Hebrews? It says because he feared. Jesus himself as a man walked like we are to walk in the fear of the Lord. So he lived out what we're reading in this psalm. He really did. Our Lord Jesus Christ. He feared God, cried out to him in his distress, and was delivered, wasn't he? Because the Bible says what? When he's in the garden praying with strong crying and tears, what did God do? He sent an angel there, right, to strengthen him. But was it left at that? Did he just merely strengthen the Lord Jesus Christ? Didn't he deliver him? Ultimately, he raised him from the dead. The greatest deliverance that's ever taken place. The power of God manifested in the greatest way. And that's what the way the Lord works. And because of what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ in that garden with his crying out to the Lord, God hearing them, and him raising him from the dead, every time that we're in distress and walk in the fear of the Lord and cry out to God and delivers us, it all goes back to what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Because he did that, we can do that. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. See if you can relate to this. So Jesus is in the, in the garden facing the cross. He's facing a desperate situation, crying out to the Lord. David, writing this psalm, was facing a desperate situation too, facing death. From the king of Gath. And both had lost all hope of human help and comfort, hadn't they? They really had. And they're facing a situation with God alone. No one would stay awake with Jesus. And David is driven from his family and his home. And he's out there in the wilderness. Isn't that that's what it's like for us sometimes? Have you ever felt, even though you're surrounded by many people, that you're alone and desperate? I have. I know I've got friends and people that would pray for me, but there's times like that. I felt alone like David, and I felt like this poor man cried. You ever been there? God, I'm desperate. I cry out to you to help me because I am helpless. Strong crying. And we don't do that in front of other people, do we? But we do that when we're alone a lot of times, don't we? And four times, God says he will send help when we do that. Verse 4, David says he delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, delivered him out of all his troubles. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all, doesn't he? Fears, troubles, afflictions. But God doesn't say he just delivers us from some of them, does he? He says he delivers us from them all. All. And we are going to need to know that in these coming days. We really will. Probably a good psalm here to memorize. David Wilkerson said this was his favorite psalm of all 150 psalms. Constantly speaks of God's deliverance. And Psalm 66 says this, verse 12, You have caused men to rise over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you bring us out into a wealthy place. That's what God does. He gets us into the afflictions, but he's the one that brings us out into a healthy place. And then we go back to our first three verses. We will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Isaiah 43 says, God says, I have redeemed you. Have you been redeemed? I have called thee by thy name. You are mine. And because of that, if you can say that, can, who can say that in here? God has redeemed me. 
I am his. And he goes on to say, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. That's Isaiah 43, 1 to 2. So God has never in his word, has he ever promised us no afflictions? In fact, he said, there's the door. There's the door to the kingdom back there. And if you want to get through that door, it is through, what did Paul say to, to get through that? Much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. We may as well settle it. If you're his child, that is the way we're going to get in. But he promised what? To be with us and deliver us. That's what this psalm's all about. And so Hannah, think about Hannah. She, she was overwhelmed with the circumstances of her life. Back in 1 Samuel. She's got no children. She's growing old. And back then, that was a disgrace. So God's disfavor. And it says this. She went into that temple and it said she was in bitterness of soul. Bitterness of soul. Have you ever felt like that? And she wept sore. And this was her prayer to God. If you will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid. And old Eli's looking at her and he thinks she's drunk. Who are you to come in this temple drunk? And she says, no, no, I'm not drunk. But I poured out my heart before the Lord. And that's what you need to do sometimes when you're in a bad way, don't you? I try to work things out or sit there and worry about and what can I do. No, it's just got to be like Hannah. Get to where, hey, only God is my help. And pour out your heart before him. Don't be afraid to do that. And what did the Lord do? He answered her affliction by making her what? The mother of one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. And read her song of praise. It's one of the most beautiful songs you'll read in 1 Samuel. Let me say this, just about done. Dinner's almost here. But what we've got to do is we have got to take our comfort and hope from the Bible, don't we? Because when you go through those stories and read them and think about what's really going on there, it gives us courage and hope for ourselves, doesn't it? So we've got to read about how God has helped those in need because faith, as we've heard, comes by hearing. And hearing means meditation, thinking about it. So read about Jacob facing danger and wrestling with God and seeing deliverance and Joseph in prison, fearing God and being delivered. And Hannah, like we just talked about, pouring out her heart to God and how God heard her prayer. She was a righteous woman and answered her and know that he'll do that for us. Read the Psalms. My wife is great on reading those Psalms. I mean, she can quote those things. I mean, that's a blessing. You get in the trial, you can, David is constantly through those Psalms talking about, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Amen. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Amen. I do. That's what brought me in, these kind of churches, faith churches. The faith message, just click with me. I'm like, That's it. That's the answer. We don't have to be subject to everything going on. God loves us and will take care of us in his power. That's why he's created us. And those stories in the Bible really are true and could be true for us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So it says in verse 17, the righteous will cry and the Lord hears, delivers them out of all their troubles. So are you here today experiencing fears? No matter what your age, troubles, distresses, afflictions of any sort. 
then pray to God. Cry out to God as we're saying, pour out your heart to God. And what have we seen? Have we not seen a positive response from God in this psalm? Just take Psalm 34. When does he ever say he'll leave you on your own and have to just give in to your enemies and they'll just overcome you and crush you? You don't ever see that, do you? It's constantly, he delivers from all of our afflictions. Doesn't it say that? That's what he says. But there's only one condition we looked at, right? And what is that? We've got to walk in the fear of the Lord, don't we? We've got to live righteous lives. But here, when we've experienced that, we should bless the Lord at all times like David because we will have inner knowledge. Our eyes will be open that God is faithful and he loves us as his children. You'll know it. And no one can talk you out of it once you've experienced it. They can't. Like Dr. Freeman used to say, I got my lunch and, and I'm carrying it to work. And somebody tells me that lunch is no good. And you know what? They might be right because something might have gone sour from the home and sat in my car too long. He said, but you know what happens, though? Once I open that bag up and I eat that sandwich and chips and cookie and it's in me, it's too late to tell me it's no good because I've experienced it. It's too late. So try to tell me that God won't hear a cry and deliver us. I mean, we've got testimonies all through this church. That should be your testimony, right? And if it is our testimony, let us exalt his name together, right? And I would just say, if it's not, oh, taste and see, you that don't know what I'm talking about. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. And the face of the Lord is for those that seek him. And you don't want to live, like it says after that, the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. You don't want God's face against you. That's not how you want to die or live. Either way, right? So let's put our hands in the life of our good God who promises to deliver us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this word you've given us in Psalm 34. And we just thank you for David to write these words to us, to encourage us to taste and see of your goodness. And we just thank you, Lord, that you'll bless us and you'll continue to bless this assembly and cause us to be people that will walk faithful to you and to know your goodness and to have a testimony among ourselves and in this community that you are a God that is faithful to deliver the righteous. And we just thank you for all of that. And I just ask that your blessing will be on all of us today and that you'll speak to our hearts throughout this day, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.